Olympic National Forest, Northwest Washington State, April 29, 2022. The first thing Serena Rutherford noticed was the smell. It was a sickening stench of vomit, rotting meat, animal feces, urine, and methane gas. It was a very distinct odor that made her gag, overwhelming and overpowering to the senses. Whatever it was, it reeked. Serena and her father Clifford were walking along a secluded trail in the forest surrounded by the majestic Cascade Mountains. They were hunting grizzly bears in a national park. Illegal? Sure, but that had never stopped them before. This was America, after all. It was a typical day in the Pacific Northwest, gloomy, with a gray, overcast, drizzling rain, and a faint mist that gave the magnificent forest a spooky, foreboding atmosphere. Trees of all shapes and sizes thrived here in the moist, damp climate. From redwoods to the Sitka spruce, many of these great behemoths were old-growth trees, primordial relics that predated the founding of America. Cliff Rutherford had hunted for sport all over the world, from Zimbabwe plains to the Alaska wilderness. He had slaughtered elephants, lions, giraffes, rhinos, leopards, and almost everything that walked or crawled. When he wasn't hunting endangered species, Clifford worked as a dentist in Phoenix, Arizona. The truth is that his hunting safaris were the only thing that made Clifford feel alive. He loved the thrill of the hunt. Although he would never admit it to himself, Clifford liked watching his prey suffer before they died. He thought of himself as an alpha, an apex predator. It would be easy to caricature Clifford Rutherford as a cruel, cold-hearted man. And in many ways, he was. But he was also someone who cared deeply about his patients at his practice. He donated thousands of dollars to cancer research, and he was a loving father and devoted husband. The human animal was a strange creature of perplexing contradictions. His adopted daughter Serena, Clifford was impotent, was pretty. She had raven black hair and icy blue eyes. She was stunning in a spooky sort of way. Serena Rutherford had just graduated from Harvard Law School. This hunting trip to the forest was a celebration between father and daughter, or at least that's what her father told her. They bonded through their love of the great outdoors and killing things. Both father and daughter were armed with hunting rifles, big, American, high-caliber rifles. They were packing enough firepower to topple a third-world country. Serena had the unshakable feeling that someone or something was watching them, stalking them, hunting them. She couldn't explain what she sensed in these woods. She just knew something was there. It was as if the trees had eyes and were tracking her every move. She could feel eyeballs staring at the back of her head. More and more as they moved deeper into the forest, Serena got an increasingly uneasy feeling and knew something was watching her and her father. She kept trying to ignore the feeling. She told herself it was nothing. Then the tingling she felt turned into a chill and she kept searching the tree line looking for an unseen predator. There is nothing going on. Nobody is watching us. Nobody is watching me. She repeated the mantra over and over again in hopes she would somehow make herself believe the lie. The eerie presence and powerful stench were pushing her to the verge of panic. Several weeks ago, Serena saw on Facebook that two young hikers had vanished without a trace from these very woods. The person who posted about the disappearances believed President Biden had sacrificed the couple to a satanic cabal. Her father, Clifford, suspected the missing hikers had been eaten by a bear. It was the real reason they were here. 
He wanted to be the guy who bagged the grizzly that ate those doomed hikers. He wanted, he needed to feel big, masculine, powerful. Killing the beast would make him the alpha. There is nothing going on. Nobody is watching us. Nobody is watching me. Serena hadn't seen any signs of bears since they entered the forest at dawn. The complete absence of any sounds in this part of the forest was admittedly unsettling. It was quiet, too quiet. No birds, no squirrels, no insects, no bears, no life. Nothing but a maze of creepy trees shrouded in a ghostly mist, with their branches creaking in the wind, which sent a chill down Serena's spine as she walked through the forest at sundown. Where did all the animals go? The forest seemed so lifeless. Serena could feel a presence nearby as they walked by a cluster of trees that resembled corpses. She thought she caught a glimpse of movement, but when she looked, she saw nothing. Serena stopped. She turned to her father and told him it was getting late and they should probably head back. She didn't want to be out here after dark. Her father tried to convince her that they were getting close to finding their prey. He made a case that they should continue the hunt. Serena balked. She was tired, wet, and wanted to go back to her hotel suite to soak in the hot tub. I'm not leaving here without a fresh kill, her father insisted. Serena could see the bloodlust in his eyes, and truthfully, she didn't want to leave without any trophies of her own. So they marched onward into the arboreal abyss. With a sigh, she started down the desolate path lined with ominous-looking trees. The forest had an eerie stillness at dusk which when combined with the twilight fog gave everything around Serena a dreamlike quality, and she wondered if she had somehow crossed over to another plane of existence, a shadow realm where the land of the living and the dead merged into one. They kept walking. As her fears mounted, Serena felt like an outsider trespassing on a haunted and untamed wilderness. They did not belong here. Something told her they were not welcome. Up ahead, at a fork in the trail, Serena and her father saw a massive primeval tree, an ancient tree from the old world that towered above all others. That horrid stench, the same one that filled her with anxiety and fear, seemed to grow stronger as they approached the gigantic redwood. Serena sensed there was something abnormal about the tree. She crept towards it with dread. She thought she saw a face nestled in the side of the tree. She froze, her heart pounding in her chest. In an instant, Glowing yellow eyes opened, and that's when she saw it. Something was hiding against the bark of the tree. There was a shimmer and a form began to take shape. A tall and threatening figure emerged. And in that moment, Serena realized with absolute certainty that this thing had been stalking them since that morning, hiding in the bush, camouflaging itself in the foliage this entire time. Both Clifford and Serena were instantly paralyzed with fear as the creature's true nature was revealed. This was no bear. This was a monster from a madman's nightmare. It was covered in thick black fur, except for bear patches on its arms and legs. It stood upright, like a giant, nine-foot-tall human. Its claws were huge, razor-sharp, and at least four inches long on each finger. Its sunken eyes, feral and primitive, were extremely close-set. The creature's jaws were a complete horror show, with yellowish teeth that were large and sharp. It was an imposing, terrifying apex predator, and reeked like rotting meat. Dad, I'm scared, Serena whispered. Quiet, he muttered under his breath. Don't move, 
or we are dead. Neither Clifford nor Serena could believe what they were seeing. It was like something had risen from mankind's distant past to punish them. Serena started to whimper and cry, panic rising in her chest. She closed her eyes and took deep breaths, afraid to open them again, scared that the monster would still be there. She opened her eyes, hoping against hope this was all a dream, and she would wake up safe in their hotel room. This was not a dream. The creature was still standing there in the middle of the trail. It stood there, motionless, narrowing its sunken eyes as it studied its prey. Clifford motioned for his daughter not to move. He slowly reached for his rifle and aimed the weapon at the monster's chest. The creature stared at them, seemed confused by what Clifford was doing. It moaned, then tilted its head back and began sniffing the air with its acute sense of smell. Clifford fired. The bullet struck the wild man in the upper shoulder. It howled in terrible pain. Bright red blood trickled down the creature's chest. Clifford fired again. This time he hit the monster in the side of the head. It howled and dropped to its knees. Clifford smiled. He aimed the rifle again at the beast's head. He was about to bag an apex predator of unknown origin. He was about to make history. The head of this thing, as hideous as it was, would look beautiful on the wall of his trophy room. Clifford's hands were shaking in excitement. He fired. The bullet missed. The creature looked enraged, animalistic. It growled, the loudest, most ferocious growl Clifford had ever heard. The creature charged in a blur of primal rage. Clifford had no time to protect himself. 800 pounds of animal fury were about to crash into him. The impact knocked Clifford to the ground, shattering his pelvis. The creature grabbed Clifford by his legs. He then flung the middle-aged man around like a ragdoll, slamming him again and again into a nearby redwood tree, breaking his legs like twigs and dislocating his right shoulder. Clifford vomited from the sound of his own bones snapping. With horror, Serena watched as the monster pounced on her father. Clifford screamed for his daughter to run. He put up his arms to defend himself and the monster chewed off his hands. It tore away at his nose and eyes with fangs and claws. The animal man then savagely began to tear into the hunter's abdomen with its talon-like fingers, reaching in with massive hands to pull chunks of flesh out before mashing them into its own mouth. Clifford kept screaming. There was blood everywhere, staining the trees and the ground. The thing was killing her father, and Serena knew it. It couldn't be bargained with. It couldn't be reasoned with. It didn't feel empathy or remorse or fear. This primitive thing was driven by only raw primal instincts, fighting and killing in rage, biting and eating in hunger, and raping and impregnating in carnal lust. An ugly, hideous thing somewhere between a Neanderthal and an inbred gorilla. Frantic, Serena tried to shoot the beast with her own rifle, but was too rattled to get off a good shot. She cried out as the creature tore off her father's legs. Serena aimed the rifle more carefully, but her fingers wouldn't work. She fired another shot and missed. If she kept this up, she was going to shoot her own father. The creature grabbed Clifford, who was now blind and missing most of his face by the throat, and finished him off by tearing his head from his body with a sharp snap. The screaming suddenly stopped. Clifford Rutherford was no more. The big game hunter was food now. The animal man picked up the severed head and took a huge bite, gorging itself on the flesh, bone, and gelatinous brain matter. It drank from Clifford's skull like a ravenous bear with a honeypot. It tasted salty, but sweet. 
much better than the brains of the grizzly it had eaten earlier that day. Serena gasped, put her hand over her mouth, and quickly looked away. She dropped to the ground, her mind desperately trying to disassociate from what had happened. She began rocking back and forth like a child. Serena crawled over to the gory, half-skeletonized mess that was once her father, and then she let it all out, a whimper that grew into a scream of profound sorrow. The beast's meal went on, uninterrupted. After a moment, Serena snapped back to reality as if awakening from a trance. She sensed the creature standing over her. The animal man regurgitated one of her father's fingers into her lap. She screamed. She staggered to her feet and ran through the woods, screaming hysterically. Out of breath and more afraid than she would ever admit, Serena stumbled down the mountainside as nightfall descended upon the forest. She could hear the movement behind her, coming fast. The thing was chasing her. Serena tripped, fell, and went tumbling forward down the forest slope, slamming into rocks and debris before plunging into a murky bog below. All around her was nothing, nothing at all, except the smell of decomposition and cold, stagnant water that took her breath away. Serena thrashed and clawed, trying not to swallow any slimy muck as she gasped for her breath in a watery grave of absolute darkness. Something grabbed Serena by the hair with tremendous force. It was the creature. The thing pulled her out of the bog. Serena clawed at the mud as the creature began dragging her by the feet deeper into the dark woods. The animal man's drive to procreate had no recipient in his own species, seeing as he had recently killed and eaten his own mate so the creature was forced to turn to humans to fulfill his biological programming. With growing terror, it dawned on Serena that the creature was taking her back to his lair. She screamed and kicked as the wild man threw her over his shoulder. He shambled towards a filthy cave located deep in the mountains, to a nameless place where no one could ever find her. In the darkest part of the forest, no one can hear you scream. Serena and Clifford Rutherford were both presumed dead based on the DNA evidence found in the forest. The incident was officially ruled as a bear attack by park rangers. Facebook users speculated the deaths were some sort of secret ceremony involving human sacrifice and a cult ritual performed by President Joe Biden and Bill Gates. Spooky? Do you think I'm spooky? I told my mom I thought I saw a werewolf. And my mom believed me. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay! Serious crap! You think these people were eaten? My dog stepped on a bee. Unidentified flying objects. I think that fits the description pretty well. Haunted in the remains. He's dead. But he has the power to move and kill. She was bludgeoned to death with an axe. <laughs> A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. When I stand on the mountain and I say, do it, it gets done. If it don't get done, then I'll move on it. And that's the last thing in the world you want me to And this is the Spookies Podcast. <laughs> Did you know that in 1984, Washington State passed a law making it 
it illegal to kill Bigfoot, the law declaring the undiscovered animal to be an endangered species. It is, however, legal to kill Bigfoot in Texas. (laughs) I mean, isn't it legal to kill your own grandmother in Texas? It isn't now. (laughs) But it will be in a few years once Governor Wheelchair is done. (laughs) You mean Greg Abbott. Wheels. I call him Wheels. (laughs) All you big game hunters out in Texas, please try to kill Bigfoot. I fucking dare you. There's something in the woods and it will eat your face off. (laughs) It's known that Bigfoots crave the tiny penises of lonely, impotent men. Yes, they are a delicacy in the world of Bigfoot. (laughs) I am Michael. And I'm Stephanie. And this is Season 3, Episode 2, Horror of Bigfoot. Bigfoot, a.k.a. Sasquatch, a.k.a. Saskesh. Meaning wild man or the animal man, according to the indigenous people. Or Michael without a shirt. Yeah. (laughs) A race of large, hairy ape monsters that are believed to roam the great forest of North America. I thought you didn't believe in Bigfoot. I didn't, and then I got on Facebook. (laughs) I don't believe in the Patterson-Gimlin film, which every Bigfoot enthusiast loves, and I'm sure already I've lost credibility. Uh-huh. But that film, it's the footage, the, the, the famous footage we've all seen of the alleged Bigfoot walking through the woods and it turns its head. And he's got big old movies. Yeah. And they're sure it's a female because it's got boobs. I'm like, no, it should be a dude. <laughs> Man I boobs. Thought, I thought maybe it was Governor Chris Christie. No. Out walking no. by the beach. <laughs> I don't think he was alive then. It was Trump. <laughs> the Patterson, I want to say Gimli from Lord of the Rings, but it's Gimlin. The Patterson-Gimlin film is a hoax. The guy who made the costume, uh, Philip Morris, came forward, I believe it's in the 80s. Uh It's been debunked. He he mailed them the costume, the two guys. They went out there looking for Bigfoot, and they just happened to find Bigfoot. Now, did he make the Planet of the Apes costume movies for the second movie? No, but the fact his name is Philip Morris is funny because he has no relation to the tobacco company. Right, right, because that's what I think of. (laughs) Now, there are other hoaxes, like the Minnesota Iceman, which was a sideshow exhibit and a hoax that depicts a hairy man-like creature frozen in a block of ice. It was displayed at shopping malls, state fairs, and carnivals across North America in the 60s and 70s. It was promoted as the missing link between man and our primitive ancestors. And it was all a lie. (laughs) That's disappointing. It ended up being sold on eBay in 2013 and put on display in Austin, Texas. <laughs> Bigfoot hoaxers are a classic American grift. All those awful reality shows about finding Bigfoot, Ice Road Bigfoot Hunters or whatever. <laughs> shows about a bunch of fat guys dicking around in the woods. I don't believe a word they say. And we actually have gotten DMs. We get emails from people like, I'm a Bigfoot hunter. I would like to be on your podcast. <laughs> Like, I'm this. I would like to come on. It's like, no, 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 no. I'm a psychic. I want to come on. No, man. <laughs> it's not the way it works. No. <laughs> you know, we, we only, we have a very high criteria for this podcast. You know? <laughs> we really only have on people we know, or if it's somebody really famous, then they can come on. Because that... <laughs> There's also a guy by the name of Rick Dyer, who has made a whole career out of perpetuating Bigfoot hoaxes. And I think when he was caught, he said the government stole the real, real Bigfoot. <laughs> And so that's why he didn't have the body. (laughs) The proof is out there, but so are lies. Now, in spite of all the hucksters and frauds, 
I do believe there's something to the Bigfoot phenomenon. Real Bigfoot, not fake Bigfoot. Real Bigfoot is sexually assaulting cows. <laughs> Moo too is not a joke. You're laughing. You're laughing. And people, are, cow people are being assaulted. How do we know Bigfoot isn't just Harvey Weinstein in a gorilla costume? That is impossible. <laughs> because let's look at this through Occam's razor. Okay. Harvey Weinstein is currently in prison, and the real Bigfoot is at large. How do we know he? it wasn't him for all those years? This happened after he was in jail. See, I gotcha. <laughs> Animal-on-animal bestiality is far from uncommon in the animal kingdom. A number of farmers have claimed to have witnessed male big feet, <laughs> which is the plural of Bigfoot, <laughs> sodomizing domestic cows. How do they know it wasn't their farm hands? <laughs> But that's not all. It turns out some Bigfoot might be gay or big feet. They might be gay. Okay, this is this is fucking stupid. <laughs> Cryptozoologist Lauren Coleman has speculated that around 10% of the Bigfoot population is gay, which okay. is around the same percentage as Homo sapiens. Okay. So he posts this on his blog, and almost immediately he was bombarded with a slew of angry emails denouncing him for calling Bigfoot a homosexual. <laughs> we are talking, they made my little mermaid into a black girl level of outrage. <laughs> I mean, are these the same virgins who are angry about the new Lord of the Rings show on Amazon? Because it sounds like it. I think it, it sounds is, like the same guys. I think it's a boomer thing. <laughs> when they were growing up in the 70s, there were no gay Bigfoots. The wokes have ruined their very straight Bigfoot. <laughs> there were no female Bigfoots in the 70s. Bigfoot was straight and male, just like Burt Reynolds' mustache. <laughs> So how do they procreate? How do they make more Bigfoots? Stephanie, it isn't gay if a male Bigfoot impregnates another male Bigfoot to have children. <laughs> That's impossible. <laughs> Bigfoot has sex with men and relationships with women. I am not gay. I have relationships with women and sex with men. And I got news for you. That means you're gay. Stop promoting the homosexual agenda of the woke Bigfoot left. <laughs> Bigfoot cannot be gay. He is the Giga Chad meme incarnate. He is a masculine icon like John Wayne or Lindsey Graham or that Andrew Tate guy. <laughs> this has got to be riddled with sarcasm, right? Andrew Tate is the definition of a bottom from West Hollywood. <laughs> and Bigfoot hunters, I'm asking you if you're listening. Please stop trying to make Bigfoot a symbol of New Age environmentalism. He's a monster, something to be feared. He's not something cuddly that listens to pure moods. <laughs> or fish. Yes. <laughs> or Yanni. <laughs> I like Yanni. <laughs> I don't. So, last year, a man on YouTube claimed that while looking for his lost dog, he was raped by a female Bigfoot. He is fearful that he might be the father of a Bigfoot child. Imagine owing child support to Bigfoot. That is wild. <laughs> now, you have watched the clip, Stephanie. <laughs> what do you think? Is being raped by Bigfoot a crime? <laughs> Don't look. 
no, no. I'm 100% serious. Are you soft on Bigfoot crime? <laughs> I mean, I don't think it's real. I think he was hallucinating. So I think he was probably but if it, if somebody- on drugs. And either he was out there with a woman and had sex with him. I don't know who would have sex with this guy. but Or, like I said, hallucination. But if a Bigfoot does rape somebody, is that a crime? Well... Bigfoot is real. Let's assume I, Bigfoot is real because I'm I'm un- acting under the assumption Bigfoot is real. It's not a crime in the sense it's a human crime, but it's it's a violation, I guess. If it's a but monster. is that a crime like a law broken? Raping, kill, 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 kill. I like how this guy is certain it was a female Bigfoot. Maybe male Bigfoots have vaginas. <laughs> we know very little about Bigfoot anatomy. So they're like hermaphrodites. Yeah, they could be. They got like both parts. I know. I say this absolutely straight what they could be (laughs) bigfoot has been in the headlines more recently so in july of this year an oklahoma man uh was charged with first degree murder because he told investigators that the victim he had killed uh his friend he had killed because the man had summoned bigfoot to eat him Sounds like drugs. This sounds like something you would do, Stephanie. What? No. Summon Bigfoot to kill your enemies. (laughs) You say Sylvia Brown three times in a mirror and Bigfoot appears. (laughs) Now, this is a true crime podcast. Right. So we have to talk about Bigfoot crime. Oh, God. (laughs) If Bigfoot kills someone, would you consider that a crime? Does Bigfoot belong in jail? No, I mean, Bigfoot would be a monster, and I'm assuming like a pitchfork torch army of people would go after the monster and try to kill well, it if I, it was a, if this is real i personally think this guy's bigfoot defense is a crock of shit because bigfoot is not associated with the occult you can't summon bigfoot bigfoot is an animal science a legendary creature from cryptozoology uh, crypto what cryptozoology the study of and search for animals that are rumored to exist animals not recognized by the deep state scientific establishment Monsters of legend such as Bigfoot, the Loch Ness Monster, or our favorite, the Dogman. Yeah, and they could all be tulpas. No, that's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's more stupid. <laughs> that's literally... That's more stupid. That's literally the occult. That's summoning <laughs> an entity. It's uh, a large amount of people believing in something and summoning it into reality by their beliefs. That's called meme magic. Maybe that's what Jesus is. No. <laughs> Yes, but Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, the Dogman. Ah, yes. What would the History Channel be without them? More World War II and Hitler content, and maybe something about Jesus' bloodline. (laughs) As I was saying, cryptozoologists have theorized that a half-ape, half-human creature lives in the Pacific Northwest. Long before anyone had ever heard of Bigfoot, the indigenous people of the Pacific Northwest spoke of wild men that live in the woods and abduct women and children. If Bigfoot is real, where is the definitive proof? Some believe the government is suppressing evidence of the creature's existence. Every year, thousands of people go missing mysteriously from our national parks. What is the Federal Forest Service hiding? Did you get this from Facebook? No, TikTok. (laughs) Where America gets its news. (laughs) I'm not on TikTok, by the way, so don't go looking for me. (laughs) But I saw a montage of TikTok videos from YouTube of Bigfoot conspiracies. From YouTube, the real news network. America's news. (laughs) So it must be real. Yes. Now, supposedly the government secretly removed burnt Bigfoot corpses from Mount St. Helens after the 1980 eruption. Who is saying this? 
people that lived around there. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Following the volcanic disaster, some witnesses reported seeing black helicopters carrying off the charred remains of several quote-unquote animal men from that area. How would they know that it's animal men? Prior to the eruption, Mount St. Helens had already been a hotspot for supposed wild ape men, (laughs) dating back as far as the 18th century. This means indigenous people were talking about them. Mm -hmm. In fact, so many of these stories were reported that a nearby gorge was later renamed Ape Canyon. Ape canyon yeah is bigfoot an animal is it a man or something in between like an evolutionary throwback or perhaps a feral human and this is where the whole element of is it a crime shifts because if it is human then it is a crime if it's a human it's definitely a crime and i could totally see weirdos going off into the woods and creating their own weird cult of inbreeding that's not what feral humans are are you sure feral humans are People raised by animals are raised in the wild. So the question for tonight is, what makes us human? There's a thin line between what is human and what is animal. Humans are selfish and competitive, and human morality often nothing more than a facade to hide the animal within. Stories of Bigfoot are a window into the collective unconsciousness, into the savage recesses of our ancient ancestors. Personally, I believe Bigfoot is a cannibal troglodyte and a rapist. (laughs) There's something in the woods, Stephanie. (laughs) Something hungry for human flesh. And ween! After the break, we're going to talk about the origins of the sexual predator and possible serial killer known as Bigfoot. And that's when I saw the female Sasquatch. She tore out of the bushes, knocked me down on the ground, and I I thought she was going to kill me. You know, I'm like, I'm like grabbing for a gun and then I realized I didn't bring a gun with me. I didn't have a dog with me. I was back here by myself. I was terrified. I, I, I was actually, I was so terrified. It was so scary. And I wouldn't be back here right now, except I, I feel the need to like get over my fear and, and what happened. And what happened was as soon as I was knocked down on the ground, she starts ripping my clothes off me. She did. She pulled my pants off me, and I'm like, oh, great. What, what, she's going to kill me. They're going to find my naked body here. It's worse. It's worse. As soon as she got my pants off me, she started, like, jerking the ween. And I'm like, whoa, you know, that's not going to work. You know, what are you doing? And then the next thing I know, keep in mind, this is a big Sasquatch, like a, comparable to, like, a big, hairy Russian, Russian woman. I mean, she was big. She was like you know, seven and a half, eight feet tall and hairy. And so I'm down there on the ground, I'm completely naked, my clothes have been ripped off me, and she starts giving me a knobber. It was, it was all just biological, I didn't have any choice. And the next thing you know, you know, I blew my load, I blew my load in the Sasquatch. As soon as I did that, she got up and she ripped down, the, she like let out this hell and then ripped down this tree. And I thought, my God, she's going to, like, take the tree and take me and s- take it and smash me, right? No, it didn't end. It didn't end. And then she starts blowing me again. She starts blowing me again. And I'm like, you know, could you give me five minutes? She didn't even give me five minutes. She started blowing me again. The next thing you know, I bust a nut again, again, and then she stands up. And does one of these, like, mmm, like, mmm, isn't that good? 
I, I swear to God. I swear to God. Then she hightails it into the woods this way. Now, I didn't know what to do at this point. I'm like, what do I do? I've been raped by a Bigfoot. Do I call the police? What do I do? I, I still don't know what to do. I mean, she could, she could be pregnant with my child. I'll tell you one thing. I don't go in the woods anymore unless I have a weapon with me. I'll get over this. I think I should probably talk to somebody, maybe a, a counselor or something. Uh, I've never been raped bef before this. If Bigfoot isn't real, why does he keep showing up? It should be noted that Jane Goodall, the renowned chimpanzee researcher, is a believer that Bigfoot-type creatures are hiding in the woods. You'll be amazed when I tell you I'm sure they exist, she once said in an interview from 2002. Most cultures around the world have accounts of human-like giants in their folklore, wild men who live in the forest and are cannibals. The famous one-eyed cyclops from Greek mythology were said to be giants that fed on the flesh of human beings. Some tales of Bigfoot speak of them as a long-lost tribe of feral humans known as the Stick Indians. Their names derive from the fact that creatures communicate with one another by banging sticks on trees. Tales of Bigfoot have an eerie similarity across cultures. They are very large. They have tall frames, between 7 to 15 feet. Humanoid, bipedal, covered in fur, black, dark brown, or dark reddish hair. Sometimes snowy white or even gray. A distinct lack of language. Feral teeth, long claws, and then you have the smell. A foul, rancid odor. Body odors like vomit, urine, and animal feces, sometimes with a hint of rotting meat. The smell is consistent from legend to legend, which makes it all the more disturbing. They are often arboreal and live in caves or dens deep in the forest. The wild man or feral savage is a universal archetype that exists throughout all human cultures. It represents the space between the forest and society, between civilization and our ancient history as a predatory, cannibalistic race. Early man was merely beast with big brains. The wild man or Bigfoot has been sighted throughout the United States, from the 16th century to the present. Many of the indigenous cultures across the North American continent include tales of mysterious hair-covered creatures living in forests. According to anthropologists, these legends existed long before the founding of America. There are countless wild man legends from all over the world. In Canada, the Chehalis First Nation have the Sasquets. The name Sasquatch is the anglicized version of Sasquets, roughly translating to wild man. However, the modern U.S. concept of Bigfoot can be traced quite directly to an incident from 1958. In August of that year, a construction crew was hard at work in Humboldt County, California, a heavily wooded region in the northern part of the state, near the California-Oregon border. For several days in a row, the construction site had been plagued by a series of mysterious incidents. The crew would arrive to work to find their equipment like it had been hit by a tornado. 50-gallon drums of diesel fuel and 700-pound tires were scattered across the worksite. A bulldozer was found damaged and upside down. Nobody could explain what was big or strong enough to cause such devastation. The crew had no idea what was going on and became fearful of going to work. 
The foreman tried to assure them that everything was fine, but no one took him seriously. Fifteen workers quit because they were too spooked by what they had seen. The project quickly fell behind schedule due to the fact that there weren't enough workers left to operate all of the machinery. Encroachment was pushing very hard into these woods. And maybe, just maybe, something was pushing back. And then one morning, one of the workers, Jerry Crew, found a mysterious set of large, human-like footprints sunk deep within the mud at the construction site. They were 16 inches long, and to his eye, ape-like. Whatever left those tracks had to be massive. The construction workers were used to seeing bear or bobcat tracks. These tracks were different. They looked like they belonged to a giant man. The team quickly realized they were dealing with something extraordinary, something otherworldly. So Jerry Crew, the bulldozer operator, decides to make a plaster mold of the giant footprints, takes it into town, and shows the townspeople what he had discovered. The locals dubbed the creature Bigfoot, due to the anomalous size of the tracks. Reports of ape-like behemoths had circulated in the wilderness of the Golden State for generations. Native American lore included mention of a race of animal men, invisible predators with the ability to camouflage themselves in the foliage, and California settlers whispered about hairy beast men as far back as the 1880s. Crew's footprints turned Bigfoot into a national media sensation, prompting countless scary stories told around a campfire and inspiring an army of Bigfoot hunters. But there was just one problem. Jerry's foreman was a guy named Wilbur Wallace, and Wilbur's brother, Ray, also worked at the construction site. Ray was known for being a practical joker. The whole time the team was trying to build the road, he was constantly playing pranks on the crew. The skeptic community suspected Ray faked the prints, and he vehemently denied it. He claimed he would never do anything to ruin his brother's career. He maintained his innocence for decades, But then, in 2002, Ray died, and his family came forward and claimed he faked the incident from the construction site. They even produced these wooden feet they claimed he used to create the tracks. So it was all an elaborate prank, right? A hoax. Ray lied about the whole thing. There are a few problems with this explanation. You see, Ray's wooden feet are too small to have created the footprints. Almost two inches too small. The spacing of the toes are not the same as the tracks found on the site. Several anthropologists who studied the wooden feet said it was physically impossible for them to have made the tracks. In addition, Ray could have never caused the damage to the construction equipment, not unless he was from Krypton. The incident at the construction site remains unexplained to this day. Some encounters with Bigfoot allegedly are more violent and terrifying. Ape Canyon is a narrowing gorge sitting just to the northeast of Washington's Mount St. Helens, where one of the most infamous Bigfoot attacks in cryptozoological canon is said to have taken place, eventually giving the isolated region its namesake. In 1918, several miners, including a man named Fred Beck, moved to the dense forest in search of gold. On a clear summer morning in 1922, one of Beck's men discovered strange footprints near the creek where he was panning for gold. They were massive and ape-like. It wasn't long after that the miners began hearing scary noises, like sticks banging against trees. They tried to locate the source of the noises, but were unsuccessful. Over the next two years, they continued to find more tracks during their makeshift cabin. And then there was the incident. In July of 1924, the men heard some kind of animal's human-like howl cut through the quiet forest. Another unknown animal replied with a howl of its own. 
This filled the miners with fear, so much so that they began arming themselves before heading out to the work sites. A few days later, Beck saw a hideous creature about seven feet tall, standing upright, about 100 feet away from him. It was covered with long black hair. Fred Beck gauged from its fetid stench. Beck's friend Hank aimed his rifle and shot at the creature three times. The thing took off and ran into the dark forest. The violence proved a mistake. That night, the thing returned. Only this time, it was not alone. It was just before midnight, and the miners awoke to the sound of a gang of wild ape men pelting the small cabin with rocks. Seemingly out of nowhere, the hand-built cabin began being hit by huge stones that were being thrown by mountain devils on all sides. The terrified men quickly barricaded the doors and windows. One of the animal man's hairy paws reached through a hole in the construction and tried to grab an axe. Beck snatched it away in the nick of time. The men fired their rifles and shotguns through the walls of the tiny cabin. The men heard movement underneath the cabin. With their nerves on edge, they listened as the animal man scratched and clawed at the floorboards. The things were trying to get in. The men began to shoot at the monsters and the attacks would cease, only to start back up a few minutes later. This lasted all night long. The siege continued until daybreak, when the men finally inched their way out of the cabin. Fred Beck saw one of the Bigfoot creatures standing in the distance at the edge of what is now Ape Canyon. Beck fired on the creature, supposedly watching it tumble into the gorge. The cabin was now damaged beyond repair from the creatures and gunfire, so the men fled for their lives into town. Beck would go on to write a book about their experience that night, speculating that the ape men were in fact creatures from another world. Fred Beck would later claim to have psychic abilities which skeptics used to damage his credibility. The story of the ape-man attack was widely covered in Washington and Oregon newspapers at the time. Skeptics dismissed the minor story as a gang of local youth that were bombarding the cabin with rocks. It should be noted the description of the creatures matches a local indigenous legend about mountain devils that feed on human flesh and attack with rocks and sticks. Okay. When we come back, there's something very weird going on in our national parks. And not everyone who encounters Bigfoot lives to tell the tale. The American wilderness is a place of secrets, a land cursed with the blood of oppressed and marginalized people. The sins of our forefathers has a way of contaminating the soil. When you enter a forest, you're entering another realm, transported to another world. Civilization ends and the old world begins, a more primal world. When night falls, the forest becomes a scary place. Dark trees and unidentifiable animal sounds. You never know what's hiding in the bush, lying in wait for you in the dark woods, ready to attack you, to kill you, to eat you, to tear the skin from your face and gnaw on your bones. Every forest has secrets, a story to tell. Some are said to be haunted by wrong spirits, and some have been the site of satanic activity. The Pine Barrens of New Jersey is said to be the home of the infamous Jersey Devil. Many serial killers use the forest as their hunting grounds. Lights in the forest at night might be fairies, or that of a UFO ascending to the stars. And then there is a dark shape covered in thick fur, hungry and horrible, the thing in the woods that craves human flesh. 
Although rarely discussed today, accounts of violent Bigfoot encounters do exist. Ancient Native American lore speaks of giant cannibals that lived in the forest of North America. They were covered in dark fur and had red glowing eyes. These creatures abducted, raped, and ate women. They were feared by the indigenous people and considered monsters or demons. The Animal Man, Cannibal Ape Man. Not everyone who encounters Bigfoot lives to talk about it. One of the first accounts of a violent Bigfoot attack on non-native people was published in a book titled The Wilderness Hunter, written by a man named Ted. It told of his life and hunting adventures in the American West. In the book, one story stands out among all others. It came to be known as the Montana Incident, a harrowing tale told to the book's author by a man named Bauman, who he referred to in the text as a grizzled, weather-beaten old mountain hunter. He must have believed what he said, for he could hardly repress a shudder at certain points of the tale, Ted wrote. When Bauman was still young, Ted recalled he and a friend set out to trap beaver in a treacherous river valley in what was then the Montana Territory. They went up a mountain pass where, the year before, a lone hunter had been killed by an unidentified beast. The half-eaten remains of the victim were found by some mining prospectors who had passed his camp only the night before. The men left their horses at the foot of the pass and climbed up an open space surrounded by an ominous forest, where they pitched camp. With some hours of daylight remaining, they went to set their beaver traps in the stream and returned to camp just as the sun dipped behind the screen of pines. With a shock, they found their camp had been vandalized and the contents of their packs scattered among bizarre tracks on the ground. Bauman's companion crafted a torch from the campfire and peered at the strange tracks. Bauman, he said, that bear has been walking on two legs. Bauman couldn't help but laugh at his friend, and the two trappers soon went to sleep in the repaired camp. But Bauman was awakened in the night by a rancid stench and the fleeting shadow of a great body in the entrance of their shelter. The thing made a shrill, whistling noise. Bauman fired his rifle, and the creature retreated to the forest. The following day, after long hours at the streams checking their traps, the two hunters returned to camp and found it had been ravaged yet again. The same anomalous footprints trailed away from the camp, toward a creek, where they appeared as plain as if on snow. Bauman had to admit that, whatever the creature was, it had escaped on two legs. They hardly slept that night, for the sounds of twigs snapping in the trees alerted the men to the creature's presence. As their fire blazed, the trapper sensed it waiting, and heard its inhuman cry echoing through the woods. Bauman and his friend decided that the next morning would be their last in this creepy valley. Together, they gathered their empty traps from the stream, dividing the pine thickets, plagued by a sense something was following them, stalking them, hunting them. The next morning, Bauman volunteered to check traps from a nearby river while his mate packed up. He returned to a scene of horror. The still warm body of his friend was leaning against a tree with a broken neck and four large fang marks in his throat. The footprints of the unknown beast surrounded the body of his murdered friend. The thing had taken a bite out of Bauman's fellow trapper. The hunter had become the hunted. Neither Bauman nor Ted ever identified the culprit as Sasquatch or Bigfoot, but its bipedal stance, horrid smell, and taste for human flesh are indicative of the legendary creature. As for Ted, he was a big game hunter who would go on to a successful career in politics becoming the 26th president of the United States, President Teddy Roosevelt. 
Yes, we can, and it has to do with cave systems, Native American folklore, and a giant cover-up by the U.S. government under the direction of Teddy Roosevelt and the National Park Service. Allow me to explain. The United States is crisscrossed by a series of extremely complex and mostly unexplored cave systems that go under the Appalachian, Rocky, and other smaller mountain ranges. Native American monsters like the Wendigo like to inhabit these caves. Short answer for why that is is that they're so consumed by their desire for human flesh that they have no real sentience any longer. So they don't really think to build shelters, they just live in caves. And of course, Teddy Roosevelt being the avid outdoorsman he was and a believer in Bigfoot knew about these creatures. He knew that they were hunting people. He started the National Park Service so that he could have actual special forces kind of corral these things into areas where they could be managed and possibly killed, or at the very least, keep people away from them. Now, why are people allowed in the National Park? Well, because if you put off a lot of federal land and said you can't go here, people would ask questions. So those people getting lost are just collateral damage at this point. So, Stephanie, when all is said and done, what do you believe Bigfoot is? Do you believe in Bigfoot? In the existence of Bigfoot. (laughs) I have trouble believing that it's real. Uh, None of these stories have convinced you? No, no, not not at all. I have... Why? I I think it could actually be a a giant bear that is on its hind legs and be confused for a Bigfoot. But the tracks don't match a bear. That's That's if they're not... No, the tracks don't match a bear. None of the tracks ever do. Why are there no bodies? Well, there's theories about that. One is, as many animals do, they bury their dead. Well, some of the accounts, like the guys in the cabin... Also, you very rarely find the bodies of uh, mountain lions. They shoot the shit out of the Bigfoot, right? Yet there's no body. That sounds like a tulpa. Because tulpas can't be killed that way. Stephanie... I think a tulpa is actually more plausible. What is a tulpa? For those who don't speak crazy. (laughs) It's not crazy. It is not crazy. A tulpa is a Tibetan thought form. And these things can happen when either one person concentrates very hard and they think a thing into realness over a long period of time. It, it takes a lot of concentration. The other way that they happen is when large groups of people like legends start believing a thing. So the Loch Ness Monster is a tulpa. I don't think Bigfoot was a legend, though, in that case from uh, 1924 in Washington with those men right, attacked the in, in the cabin. But the indigenous people believe in it. And the thing is, a tulpa could start out, look, there was an experiment done in the early 20th century where a woman went to visit the Tibetan monks. She wanted to know if, if this was real. And she created um, a monk. And he started out as a very kindly Christian monk and he would help people. Now, I don't believe he spoke or anything. But soon, as with all thought forms, it they grow out of control. You cannot control these things because they're they're made out of just, you know, thoughts and energy. And I know this sounds like bat shittery. It doesn't sound believable at all. <laughs> well, if you do believe in the metaphysical and that, you know, things that we can't explain fully with science happen, I think it's more plausible that this thing has been believed into existence. And this is why you can't find bodies of it. This is why it's when it's shot a bunch of times, there's never blood, there's never... But see, they can harm people. So they're real enough to, to hurt people, but you can't kill it by ordinary means. So you think people can be killed with thoughts? That's it's what you're not, saying? No, I'm, I'm saying it's, it's a real... It becomes a semi-real apparition, if you will. It's a strange thing. I know it's a strange concept. And the only way I believe that the Tibetan monks knew to 
get rid of a tulpa was that you the person who created it had to undo it themselves. I believe that this last story with Teddy Roosevelt is actually very convincing. Well, I, what if it's a bear on its hind legs? I mean, we don't know that. They it's, don't walk around on their hind legs though, like that. They don't the do The grizzlies that. get up on they their hind legs. They don't just walk into the woods on their hind legs. <laughs> There's not a circus bear. It's not the circus. He doesn't have a ball he's rolling. It's not that. But let's say, so the indigenous people have been, they have had a belief in these things for years. And what if they started out as feral humans or people that never assimilated into culture or ran off into the woods and wanted to live as savages? They didn't want to live by any of man's rules. They wanted to live like monsters. And what if those things are Bigfoot? So that's the, uh, that would be my well, other theory. I, okay, so I, if Bigfoot is real, I think there are only two possible explanations. The first would be feral humans, mm-hmm. which is cannibal humans that live in the woods. Some scholars have argued that the biblical account of Cain's murder of his brother Abel in the book of Genesis is an allegory of the genocide of the Neanderthals. Or Neanderthal. I know some people say it differently. I think it depends if you're British or not. I'm not British. <laughs> uh, our primordial evolutionary memories still rattle around in our collective unconscious like fragments of half-remembered nightmares. So you believe in a collective unconscious, but not tulpas? Yeah, because one <laughs> is science. It's like the same shit. No, it's the same shit, because a collective unconscious could create a tulpa. Uh, the collective unconscious is really nothing more than this idea of prehistoric collective trauma. That's all it is. Now, during Oh, this, it's so much more than that. During the Stone Age... When the two species of primates clashed, the Neanderthal were mostly nomadic herdsmen like Abel, while the Homo sapiens, us, were on the brink of emerging as settled farmers like Cain. Now, in that context, all humans might be the descendant of Cain, carrying his homicidal mark. Homo sapien, the most violent and brutal species, won out. Mm -hmm. They were smarter as well. There's, according to the academic uh, discipline of big history, monsters aren't made, they're unmade. We start out as feral humans, and then we're socialized into becoming civilized individuals. I, I think there's truth to that. And as an aside, I will say that there was a really great book written in the 70s, I believe, called Clan of the Cave Bear that kind of, well, no, it not kind of, it does touch on this whole idea of human beings clashing with Neanderthal. Well, there's what they there's what is known as vampire graves, and that's not what it sounds like. It was our ancestors developed a fear of the people they kill coming back to get them. <laughs> so we that was our consciousness taking shape. That, there's an argument to be made that is when man emerged is when the, the development of the consciousness right. or, or a conscience of, of civilizing. Yeah, effect. not consciousness. Sorry, I meant a conscience. Yeah, I know what you mean. And that when they became afraid of those graves, they developed uh, what is known as necrophobia, that that is when we became civilized man or, or the emergence of the beginning of civilized man. And culture and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Otherwise, we were just raping and pillaging and killing. And mm-hmm. as time has gone on, we become less violent. Yeah. And it could be that, especially what's been going on in the national parks, people are going missing, it's unexplained. We're going to do an episode on that down the line, but it could be those are feral humans. Mm -hmm. This is a common conspiracy theory out there on TikTok, okay? (laughs) The other possible explanation, and I think this fits more with what we have discussed here today, is Gigantopithecus, which was a um, extinct ape 
more than a million years ago, an ape as big as a polar bear lived in South America, until going extinct, I believe, roughly 300,000 years ago. Kind of like a prehistoric orangutan. It looks like an orangutan when you see the mock-ups. It does. It has a very similar facial structure. It was twice the size of the average man. And descriptions of Bigfoot look eerily similar to Gigantopithecus. And a lot of cryptozoologists believe that's what this is. Wasn't it like nine feet tall? I think at some points it's 12. My God. It could be 12. Wow. (laughs) I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's a Bigfoot. Well, yeah, look... Prehistoric uh, mammals are massive. They're but massive. The one thing about it that doesn't match up with Bigfoot, if you look at these these stories of Bigfoot being a cannibal, mm-hmm. is Gigantopithecus, based on its teeth, was a herbivore. Yeah. So that's where it doesn't like quite... orangs. But what if it's an offset of Gigantopithecus that was carnivorous or omnivore? You know, an omnivore. I find that such a large creature that hasn't been found, like a live specimen or even a dead specimen, is awfully strange. There is another explanation there, though, which Hmm. is that they're invisible. Okay. Well, (laughs) I mean, that's one of the explanations for why we haven't found aliens. They're invisible. Yeah, but aliens would have... Okay, aliens being, you know, advanced human beings would probably have technology. It's an evolutionary adaptation. I don't think aliens have evolutionary adaptations. The ability to walk upright is a miracle, but we do it. The ability to see is a miracle, but we do it. But the reason that we can see the way we can see is because we walk upright. There's also functions of walking upright. There was an experiment done to catch a Bigfoot. Mm-hmm. where they took this mud pit, they put some food in there. And, you know, mud, obviously it would leave prints. Well, something tripped the wire, got the food, but covered up its tracks. And when was this experiment done? Because why are there no video cameras? Oh, I believe it's in the 80s. But it's possible that these things don't want to be found. Or maybe it's a tulpa. That is so stupid. <laughs> it's not. Nobody it's not believes more, in tulpas. Look, it's not any more stupid than believing that there's an invisible ape man running around the fucking forest, and we just can't happen to find a specimen. We can't find uh, the skeletons of cougars or mountain lions half the time. I'm telling you, we can't. They're hard to find. But we do find them. Very rarely. But we actually found find them, and also, we've seen them, and there's video evidence of them. Also, I think it's possible that 90% of Bigfoot sightings are a hoax, but then there's 10% there that mm-hmm. are not, and that 10% is what interests me. Or maybe it's just Florida Man. <laughs> there is an incarnation of Bigfoot, the skunk ape. What? what? Is that DeSantis? Yeah. <laughs> It's DeSantis in a gorilla costume, Stephanie. <laughs> or, or is it a, is it a, a? I mean, you were saying at one point it was a gorilla in a, a man in a gorilla costume. Oh, there's definitely that shit yeah, going on. Yeah, but that's not all of them. No, first of all, they can't afford that. Those things are expensive. <laughs> the The Patterson film that was a hoax. I uh-huh. know, but that was a very specific incident, and they could afford that costume. Right. Not in this but economy. But I believe they were professional. <laughs> Shut up. I believe they were professional uh, costumers, weren't they? Like special effects artists? No, they were. I think they were like filmmakers or something. But well, so they would have had oh, knowledge. Oh, you mean of the, the guy who made the costume? Who made the costume, yeah. Yeah, he was, well, was a costume designer. That's what I'm saying. So you, you would know about special anyway, effects makeup. that was Bigfoot. <laughs> and uh, 
All right, now. What do you guys think it is? You should let us know. I think it's most likely feral humans. I think that's that's what I'm saying. I, I do too. I think if it if it's real, if they're real, it's probably people. There's something in the woods. <laughs> if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Your support helps us sustain this podcast and keep it going. For $5 a month, you get behind-the-scenes shorts on the making of each new episode. And this episode carries a personal story of a heartbreak we faced while making this podcast about Bigfoot. Patrons will also get horror entertainment reviews, X-Files commentaries, legacy episodes no longer available, and exclusive cases just for our patrons, starting with a man who had an insatiable appetite. You can find our Patreon at patreon.com slash thespookiespodcast. She's talking about Terrer, and uh, we're going to try to get Deidre Gould, see if she'll be on that one with us. Because she suggested it, that case. <laughs> Even though we had been talking about it. She was like, I love how you'll just rope her in without, yeah. without telling her. But I'm pretty sure she would come on. We love her. Also, if Patreon is not your thing, you can support us by telling your friends and family to give us a listen. Your support means everything to us, and we thank you for listening. We do. So... Next time, we're going back to true crime mm-hmm. and dark history, where we're going to talk about Jolly Jane Toppin, a horrific serial killer, female serial killer, mm-hmm. who danced with corpses, who poisoned her patients, and who got sexually aroused at autopsies. Gross. It's going to be dark, and it's going to be creepy, and it's going to probably get more views because it's about... A serial killer, and people love serial killers. But I, I actually am really interested in that case. It's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I picked it, so. <laughs> okay, Stephanie, where can they find us? You can find us at the Spookies Podcast at gmail.com, where you can write us your theories about Bigfoot. And if we answer those theories, those Q&As are going to be in the, the, in the Patreon. Haha. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find me... At Steffi Hellya on Twitter and Stephanie Hellya on Instagram. What about True Social? Uh, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, you can find me at Spooky Michael on Instagram, where I post weird photos and memes. And you can also find me at Twitter at Agent Bigfoot. And uh, that has nothing to do with this podcast. It's just Agent Bigfoot. I just slammed two words together, and that was it. <laughs> so if you want to come on here and. Or if you want to come on social media and you want to tell me you hate me and I'm ugly and fat and a loser and all that. Michael will roast the shit out of you. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm not fat, so whatever. But. <laughs> he, he's also really fucking mean on Twitter. So if you just want to be entertained by him roasting the hell out of trolls all the time, um, yeah, you can follow him on there. It's pretty funny. Thank you guys for listening. <laughs> we will see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. <laughs>
Thank you.